Hi everyone. Welcome to See the Invisible, Living with an Invisible or Rare Disease. My name is Rhonda Franny Jefferson, and thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen. If you've previously listened to the podcast, welcome back. If you're new, welcome and thank you for giving me the opportunity to share some of my experiences. I hope that you you get some positivity and some encouragement from the podcast. I hope that we can try to build a community that supports each other. Um, The community of people that are impacted by an invisible illness is very vast and diverse. And within that community, I also include our loved ones as they're impacted and they're our biggest support system. So this podcast is really here to try to advocate for everyone who's impacted by an invisible illness or disease. I have been diagnosed with my illness for about seven and a half years, getting very close to eight. And prior to that, I had gone a number of years without a diagnosis and my symptoms were slowly getting worse. And occasionally I would have periods of time where the symptoms were very severe. So now I know that was a flare up, but especially over this past year with COVID-19 and you know, the reaction that some people have had to the restrictions, I started to feel a lot of negativity. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to have a space where, you know, I could try to express myself and my feelings to also then let other people know that there are other people who are experiencing similar things. I also know that, You know, everybody has different experiences in their lives and different situations. So I also want to recognize and respect that each one of us has a different story and that we should all be here to recognize each other. Before I get started with the specifics today of this episode, I do always like to say that I am not a medical insurance or legal expert. If you do have any questions in those fields, please make sure that you're reaching out to the appropriate person so that you get the best information. To summarize some of the things that we've gone over previously that will be mentioned in this episode, we have gone over ways that we can try to be our own best advocate, including keeping track of your medical records, having open lines of communications with your doctors and other medical team members that you may have, as well as the importance of self-care. Last week, I went over an article from a website called cfsunraveled.com, and the title of the article was Invisible Illness, Seven Ways to Get Past the Injustices and Challenges. Now, this particular article mentioned a few different invisible illnesses particularly, but I really think there was a lot of good information that most of us can empathize with and understand that we usually encounter on a weekly, if not daily basis. So parts of the article that we had reviewed, you know, stated that having an invisible illness can be exhausting to explain and can also lead to um, negative emotions. Our physical, mental, and emotional health is all interconnected and you know, having an invisible illness can lead to you know, not necessarily taking the right care of yourself, 
which can lead to more negative feelings. And it's just a cycle where everything works hand in hand. We also looked at some misconceptions that a lot of people have about those with an invisible illness, such as the illness itself is not real, that just sometimes taking a nap in the afternoon or resting will make everything okay. And you know, looking at the individual and someone thinking that we look fine, or uh, this reminded me of a meme that I saw some years ago, and I don't remember the exact wording. I mentioned it previously, but when someone uses the term acting like, well, you're acting okay, or you're acting fine, that's the point in the fact that we're acting, that we put on a brave face every day, and you know, really try to portray to the world that everything is fine. And then lastly, and where we left off, was tackling the idea that those with an invisible or chronic illness, especially if it does include chronic pain, that we're just looking for a doctor who might prescribe medications to us. I know myself, I find that particular topic uncomfortable, but you know, I'm sure many of us have heard that before, especially if we went through a long period of time before we were diagnosed. So as we progress and start encountering different and more obstacles in our daily life, there are usually some certain patterns that we often see. And one is that cycle effect that I've mentioned previously in that a lot of times we feel stress. Um, I know personally that at the beginning of my illness when I was diagnosed, I actually felt so relieved to have a word, a diagnosis to say this is what I have, that sometimes I tended to over explain because I wanted to combat any negative thoughts that someone was having against me. But that actually just led to more anxiety and stress because I always wondered, did I miss something? Did I explain it appropriately? You know, things like that. And you know, I got to the point where I realized I just need to try to evaluate. Do I really need to go into that? But the, you know, one of the repercussions of that during um, the earlier time period, just after my diagnosis, was a lot of anxiety. And anxiety could lead to flare-ups of my illness, which then just leads to more negative emotions, having that impact my mental health, and so forth. So we really have to be able to recognize that... Um, each part of ourselves impacts another part of ourselves and not to ignore any parts of that. Now, um, you know, I did mention the anxiety and that is one of the most common um, ways that, you know, we tend to express ourselves with having this invisible illness. There have been times where I would joke around and say, oh, I'm a constant worrier or I worry all the time, but it wasn't really a joke because it was something that I thought about all the time with everything, um, not just dealing with my illness. It started to you know, kind of trickle into other parts of my life until I felt like I was anxious all the time. Whereas for me, having a name and diagnosis um, helped me in some ways alleviate a little bit of anxiety um, it did, in other forms, create more anxiety. And when it is a rare illness, and especially one that others can't see, 
then that creates its own level of anxiety and worry. Sometimes, you know, I would think about, well, if someone hears that I have this illness, you know, they're going to think that I can't do my job or that I'm incompetent. Um, For, you know, some people I know who may not be in a relationship or are starting a relationship, they may worry about how it's going to be impacted. I was very lucky in that my husband is very supportive. So um, we weren't married at the time, but he still would use the phrase in sickness and in health. Um, We were together quite a long time before we married. So he always made it known that he was going to be there for me. But yes, there are times that anxiety creeps back in that, you know, does he really have to be here? Will he stay with me? And he always assures me that he will. But, you know, these are things that, you know, most people have to deal with or occasionally think about. But when you have a chronic and rare illness, especially, it kind of takes on a life of its own at times. And having this anxiety in our lives can help lead to other things such as not wanting to go to, you know, different functions. I know that I would worry about if I'd be able to keep up with everybody. I have mobility issues that are um, associated with my illness. And I just wondered, okay, will I be able to do this with my family or even things such as would I be even able to get up the stairs in a certain house. So those are things that are always in my mind. And at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, I would have to say that my anxiety was at an all-time high. Um, I mean, we do have to take precautions. Uh, We do know that if you have an underlying condition that it can impact Um, those people, myself included, in a much more aggressive and severe way. So, you know, just the isolation and loneliness that we feel can lead to the anxiety. So some of the things that individually we can try to do to fight the anxiety or depression that's associated with our illness is make sure that, you know, that we have a medical team. Um, Each of us may have different types of specialists that we have to see. So make sure that you feel assured and confident in all of your healthcare providers. And myself, I've also benefited from speaking with a counselor. A lot of my sessions are done over the phone. So it's also very easy or easier now than it used to be to be able to have those sessions instead of going in and waiting. you know, depending on where the counselor was going to their office. So it really makes it convenient for both the patient and the therapist. So, you know, again, everybody's different, but I know that for me, it did help. It's also important to um, you know, make sure you have a team itself so that everybody knows what the other person is doing. So if you're seeing one specialist, they're not prescribing or doing something that counteracts what another doctor is doing. So just knowing that you have that team available can help ease your mind or any concerns that you have. We should try to find things that we like to do that help us escape for a little while um, from our illness and how it impacts our lives. So whether it's times of meditation, um, reading, doing an activity that doesn't aggravate your illness in any way, those allow us to kind of escape for a little while and refresh ourselves during the day. 
And we also want to recognize when we feel certain negative thoughts coming in um, to our minds and working with a counselor on ways to recognize um, negative thoughts and you know, how you as an individual can best um, combat them can lead to having a more positive outlook. I feel that um, also the way I've approached things in the past and what I'm trying to change is trying to recognize any of, of the successes or achievements that I've done. You know, I am very hard on myself and if I did 99 things right and made one mistake, I wouldn't focus on the 99 right, I would focus on the one. So I want to, you know, throughout the day, try to recognize what I've done and accomplished and even doing something such as this podcast or you know, writing on a blog or something like that makes me feel that I have accomplished something. Um, also overcoming in some ways my fear of making mistakes when I speak um, because, you know, that's very hard for me. I've always worked in a position where I had to speak with people, whether it was face-to-face -face or over the phone. Um, you know, it wasn't a position where, you know, I was typing or doing other work where people wouldn't necessarily hear me. Sometimes there was a mix, but there was a lot of um, phone work in there. So I've always been extremely concerned about making mistakes when I speak. And as I started this podcast, I found myself many, 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 many times going back and you know, starting all over for one or two mistakes. But now I'm trying to move past that. So you know, just recognizing the things that we do and what we do well will also lead to a positive outlook on life. And I've mentioned our support system and how it's important to recognize what they do. Um, I know that with having a rare illness, I don't really have anybody that I can reach out to personally, but there are some online groups through Facebook that you know I can go into and know that if I ask a question, there's probably someone in there who's gone through the same thing. And you know I know that what they're providing me is not medical device, but it it helps assure me that, okay, yes, this is something I have to see my specialist about because sometimes it is hard to discern, okay, is this something new or could this be part of the illness? So it's really important to have that support um, so you understand what your next step should be in case you encounter new obstacles or challenges. So, you know, keeping with recognizing when we need to see our doctor, um, you know, when symptoms arise or something is new, a lot of times if we've experienced negativity from people, you know, especially prior to having a diagnosis, we may be less likely to see the doctor. I know there were many of times that, you know, I would think, okay, do I need to go to my doctor? Should I go to the ER? Um, you know, prior to my diagnosis, there weren't that many immediate care centers open. So, you know, I would always have this debate going inside my mind, like, okay, I, I need to see someone, but where should I go? Um, what will they think if I see the same doctor in the ER that I saw last time I was there? And even when it would be my primary care physician that sent me to the hospital, you know, even when she called over for me, I felt like when I got there that I wouldn't be believed. And that did happen actually quite a few times and it was very frustrating. You know, I understand that 
from a medical standpoint, they were running the normal battery of tests. And I know that they ran dozens, if not hundreds, of tests over the course of years to try to figure out what was going on. And so, yes, there were times where probably I should have called my doctor, but, you know, I felt like if I went in there, they really weren't going to find anything. This is where, you know, having a diagnosis and a name finally given to what I had was empowering, but that in its own self can create other challenges um, that we have to overcome. Um, sometimes doctors themselves question an invisible illness since they can't see it. So yeah, that's something that we face on a regular basis as well. Now, I know I've also mentioned the importance of having a good support system um, with your family and friends. And it's also important to recognize what we need to do for them. Um, what I mean by that is you know, the person who is there with us most of the time, so in my case, my husband, you know, he doesn't know necessarily what it's like to go through the experiences that I do. I need to make sure that I communicate fully with him so that he understands what I'm feeling that particular day or even that particular hour. You know, whether my needs right then are I need help physically standing up or moving around or you know, if I'm not in a flare-up or having severe symptoms, I may just need someone to talk to and, you know, kind of let some of my emotions out and have that sounding board. I also need to recognize, though, that can take a toll on him and make sure that I'm there and acknowledging his feelings about everything. What I've also found is that having a really good support system helps us maintain our identity. You know, what one person needs compared to another person in terms of support can be very different. But having someone who's known you and knows you as the person that you are, not, you know, Rhonda who has adult onset Stills disease. That is Rhonda who is my sister, my cousin, my friend, my coworker who happens to have adult onset Stills disease. And a lot of those first interactions that we have after we get our diagnosis are with our loved ones. So while it's important to acknowledge that your loved one does have an invisible illness, we also you know, still want to be ourselves. We want to be recognized as the people we are and not let that chronic illness define us. That's where this article ended. And so I did want to go back and reflect on a few things. Um, I did also briefly refer to another article that I'll also link in the description. Um, so any you know, sources that I used, I'll make sure that I link them in the description um, as my sources. But um, you know, what I've said earlier was I want to recognize too that we're all individuals. You know, something that I've noticed in my research is there have been articles about how you know, a loved one might be able to help us manage our illness and the articles would you know, state things that our loved ones should always say to us to show support and things that they should never say. But I'd read another article and some of the items that were on the never say list on the first article was on the always say list on the next article. And myself just reading through 
um, you know, those expectations of what should and should not be said. You know, I'm looking under you know, things that someone should always say to someone with a chronic um, or rare illness. And you know, I'm thinking, no, I, I wouldn't appreciate that if someone said that to me. And on the reverse, you know, again, saying that this is something you should never say, but me looking at it and taking no offense to it. So, you know, yes, I do refer to articles um, during my podcast um, a lot and probably you know, as I get more comfortable with doing a podcast and even more comfortable and you know, more confident in myself, I might be able you know, to get past using um, you know, an article for much of the podcast. But it is interesting in you know, finding out what researchers, medical professionals, what they think as compared to you know, those who are actually going through the illness and what I you know, don't see in many of these articles is the recognition that we are individual and that we really need to recognize that different situations and experiences lead to different reactions and expectations, you know, just in life in general, but also when you have an illness that's hard to explain and hard to define. So I don't like this, you know, one size fits all approach where, you know, just reading, you know, one article will say this is what everybody who has an invisible illness or a chronic illness needs, and this is what they don't need. I really want people to understand that an individual's needs always need to be looked at. And while there may be some things that, you know, are more widespread or can be more of a blanket statement for most people, you know, I myself don't like using universal terms such as all, never, everyone, or no one. You know, that leaves no room for exceptions. And I think there really needs to be because, you know, even just recently with something, you know, not even related to my illness, but personally, the way that I interpreted something was completely different in a way that someone else interpreted it. And, you know, I can, at times, I admit I can be a rather sensitive person. And, you know, just, you know, going through that, that experience, it did make me recognize that, okay, um, if someone else is looking at this in a different way, I'm sorry that that may have hurt someone, but you know, that does show then that individuality needs to be respected and supported. But that does kind of lead me to the last thing I want to talk about. Um, it was discussed briefly in the article, but you know what I'm going to express now is more of my opinion and how I really look at things on a daily basis. And that's you know not giving up to recognize that you know, with an illness that we have, right now, there may not be a cure or a treatment. With what I have, the first FDA-approved treatment came out in 2020. Um, and it was the use of a medication that was already on the market for um, the adult onset stills disease. However, different patients react in different ways so that one medication may not necessarily be the best fit for everyone. But the fact that this illness was diagnosed around 100 years ago 
for the first time and you know just now it has its first treatment it provides hope but at the same time I want to act upon that there's some momentum and we need to keep that momentum going having diseases or illnesses that are classified as orphan having you know something as important as an FDA approved treatment gets me very excited about the fact that research is still being done um, that researchers recognize that even though this particular illness may not affect a wide number I'm sorry a large number of people it does affect people and their loved ones and it deserves to be researched there needs to be a treatment that those who have the illness can turn to so as we're on our journey with this illness you know learning how to live with it um, you know finding out new things about it we cannot give up by thinking well there's no treatment for it or there's no cure what we need to try to look at is you know research that is being done and not to let go of the idea that one day there will be a cure or a treatment or a way to even prevent anyone from ever having the illness. At times that may seem impossible, but if we let go of that, then it will be impossible. There will be no one there to you know, back or support those researchers who are trying to find the cure. So while we need to be realist and set you know, the correct expectations, we also need to strive to go forward so that there will be a time where someone who receives our diagnosis will know that it can be treated. I hope that this is done within my lifetime because there have been so many medical advances you know, just in my lifetime alone, but I also know that it may not be. But I want to do what I can to try to you know, strive towards that cure. So just you know, some of the choices I've made, such as I did do um, like a health DNA test um, to try to see if there were certain things that might contribute towards my disease. Because it is such a rare one though, I know that there's not going to be a lot of information unless more people with my illness actually you know, go in and do those health DNA kits. So even though there's not really anybody else in there right now, at least with the kit that um, I took, as time goes by, more and more people may actually start to do that. And that could help provide a base for you know, providing information to researchers. When I still um, was in the hospital after I was initially diagnosed, one of the doctors came and he wanted to document certain things and he wanted to take pictures and you know, I know that's a very personal you know, experience, especially when you know, I definitely was not looking my best. I looked horrible. Um, I was even at the point where I didn't want my children to see me because I was afraid that they may be scared. But you know, I did let the doctor take the picture because even if that helped him or a colleague or anyone you know, come up with a diagnosis earlier, yeah, I'm all for that because I want to help anybody who you know, has my particular illness since I can give specifics on that, but then also as a community, if there are things that you know, researchers can isolate to figure out why some people get a certain illness and others don't, 
you know, I really strive for that and I understand that right now we're not there with my particular illness. Um, I know a lot of things have been sidetracked by COVID-19 and I'm very much a realist about that as well. That was something no one could have ever expected and it was something that needed to be acted upon quickly. Um, so, you know, again, I'm being a realist in that I understand you know, during this past year, there may not have been as many medical advances regarding my particular illness, but I hope that someday there will be. With my sister having an auto-inflammatory disease, and as I have one as well, you know, there's not technically proof that it runs in families, but at the same time, I do know other people where siblings have different auto-inflammatory or autoimmune diseases. So, you know, I just really hope that whether it's, you know, in the near future or just further down the line that, you know, medical researchers keep it up and, you know, keep researching about these orphan diseases so that there can be a cure someday. I know this last section was a little long, um, actually longer than I intended it to be, but I really think it's important that we don't give up hope. Um, you know, that will also help with our emotional health, our mental health by, you know, keeping those positive attitudes. So with that, you know, I'll end um, today's topic, you know, of how we can go about combating or facing the challenges that we have daily. Um, I will also put any of my contact information in the description of the podcast. Um, probably email and Facebook are the best ways of getting in touch with me. I have a Facebook page as well as Instagram, which you know I'm still getting used to, so I don't use it as often. Um, and I check my email on a regular basis. Um, I do have them in the description, though, because of availability. I couldn't get the exact same wording or spelling for each um, username. So just be sure to click the link in there if you do want to contact me. I'd be very interested in any ideas that you may have for future episodes. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I did have a little bit of an issue with a piece of equipment that I have. So I do definitely want to get some interviews going. Um, you know, I have a couple already set up just you know, I need to make sure that I can have access to record both sides of the conversation before I go forward. So hopefully those will be coming out soon. Um, if you want to share the podcast, please, um, I would really appreciate that as, you know, I do just want to spread a message of support to everyone. So if you, you know, know someone who you think might benefit from it, please, please share it. Um, I will have links to the different podcatchers that I'm available on in the description as well, but it is available on some of the more popular, such as Google, um, iTunes, um, Spotify, Amazon, um, and I do have it on YouTube as well if you're like me and I always wanna have the TV on in the background with some noise. Um, you know, that's when I'm doing something, I usually like to have it on, so I also have a channel where, you know, it's basically the podcast that's just playing. So, um, thank you all so much for, you know, again, taking some time out to listen. Oh, and I almost did forget as well. I did have a supplemental episode um, 
around, you know, halfway through the last episode in this episode about a certain struggle that I have with my weight and recognition as well. Um, so I did, you know, add that into the podcast as well as post it to my Facebook page. But I may have another supplemental episode coming out um, kind of in relation to that too um, because I have noticed some things that were mentioned in different articles that I think really need to be addressed but it's it's very similar to the topic that I discussed in that episode um, and about certain eating disorders so I'm going to start looking into that Um, I just saw some of the articles today So it's something I definitely want to do because I want to make sure that everybody feels in all walks and areas of life. So um, if I can get that done this week, I will. If not, it will come out next week, um, you know, between next week's podcast and the following one. And I hope to speak with you next week. Until then, please take care of yourself. Um, Be vigilant and you know, doing social distancing, wearing your mask, make sure you're washing your hands, just stay safe, everyone, and have a good week.